Welcome to the Axe Church Leander podcast. Join us in person or online on Facebook at 9.30 a.m. Uh, today's Bible reading is going to be out of Luke chapter 5, verse 29 through 22, and it says, And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteousness, but sinners to repentance. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're good. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have a plan. Lord, as uh, we continue to learn about being a disciple as we go, Lord, in the days in, the days out, at the parties and at the grave sites, uh, when we're waking up and we're going to bed, Father Lord, I pray that you speak in this time. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Again, it's good to be with you guys today. We are in a sermon series called As We Go. And it came out of a conversation I had at staff where we were talking about discipleship is often this mystifying experience where in reality, it's meant to be this moment-by-moment walking with Christ as we go. And so it's not prayer walking, it's walking as we pray. These different opportunities for us as God's kids to learn and to grow, and we've been using our values, acts, adventure, community, transformation this week, and sending, to kind of frame those different uh, as-we-go opportunities. Uh, This week, though, transformation had me thinking through how how do we transform, and and as I do with almost everything, it's it's story time with Pastor Josh. Uh, It was my birthday a couple months ago. I had a good birthday. Erica was very uh, uh, forward-thinking. She kept asking me what I wanted for my birthday. I couldn't think of anything, and don't get me wrong. I want all kinds of stuff. If any of you have a PlayStation 5 stored somewhere, you're like, Pastor Josh, like tons of stuff I want, but on my birthday, there wasn't like this drive Right? Like, oh, I really want this thing, or I really want that thing. Uh, and I was sitting, and I was reflecting, and I had a thought. And the thought was, what if I gave future Josh a gift? And what I mean by that is past Josh doesn't always give future Josh a gift. Do you guys ever have that happen in your life, where past you does something that current you has to pay for? Right? So uh, Friday, uh, Justin was over at my house, and I ate an entire pizza. Past Josh did something that hurt future Josh, right? Uh, maybe it's something you bought, right? Or maybe it was a boat or a pool, or, or you bought something that you continually have to pay off on the credit card, right? We as Americans, we as humans, are really good at our past selves not setting our current or future selves up for success. But on my birthday, I, I had that reverse thought. I'm like, you know what? What, what gift could I start giving now that future Josh would appreciate? And the thing that clicked for me was working out. Because it had really been pre-COVID since I had been active regularly. And it was starting to affect me. It was starting to affect my mood. I was lethargic. I was sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into the groove of the couch, right? All of that was going on. I'm like, you know what? If I started working out now, future Josh would actually benefit from that. Future Josh 
might actually appreciate what past Josh did. And so I did. I started working out. And it's been five weeks now. I've been working out. I had to go through COVID, so there was a full start there. Right? I was going, and then I got COVID. And normally when I get sick, that's when I stop. And I just don't go back. But I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. And so it's been five consecutive weeks working out. Uh, funny story, Friday was the fifth week. And I had been waiting to step on the scale. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be fantastic, right? And I got on the scale, and somehow I gained three pounds. So I'm not sure what's going on with that, right? Uh, but regardless, I feel better. And I'm more excited about life. And I'm more excited about ministry. I'm more excited about you. Because past Josh did something that future Josh is now reaping the benefits of. And when we talk about discipleship, it's the same thing. We start doing small things now that over time changes our future selves. That, that's what we are doing with this one-year goal. Where we're asking every family to pray and to think through what's one new gospel habit? What's one new rhythm that you and your family can get into with Jesus? That if you do it regularly over time, in and out, future family will be a little closer to God. Future pastor will be a little bit better at serving his congregation. All of us together trying to grow as disciples, to transform, to, to be more like Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I was trying to think through different ways to approach this, because there's the big three that we normally think of when we think through discipleship. All right, and all of you have heard these, all of you know these, the big three activities. Read your Bible pray, and go to church, right? These are the big three that if you were to say, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, I should pray more. I should read my Bible more. I should go to church more. And then we just start shooting on ourselves, right? We start throwing that onto our, and don't get me wrong, I want all of you to pray. I want all of you to read your Bible. I am glad whether it's online or in person, you are here with the body of Christ, and that is part of what discipleship looks like. But discipleship is so much bigger than just those three areas. And to prove it to you, we're going to go through the entire book of Luke and look at all the different ways Jesus used to transform and disciple the original apostles. And what you're going to see is, yes, there are times where there's prayer or reading the Bible or being with the church, but it's so much more holistic and beautiful and moment by moment than just that, right? So the first one we're going to start off is reading the Bible. Then he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. One of the first things Jesus does publicly is he goes to the temple, he goes to the synagogue, the, the modern-day church at that time, and he says, hey, y'all, all of Scripture, the entire Old Testament, it's always been pointing towards me. Jesus literally starts his ministry by doing a Bible study. So reading the Bible is part of how we become a disciple of Christ. I know AJ is super stoked about, uh, I think it's going to be August 14th, but that will be a Facebook event and everything else like that. It's coming down the line. I may have got the date wrong. But regardless, it's an opportunity to, to study God's Word. So that's important. But that's only one of the ways Jesus discipled the original apostles. So continuing on, Jesus then left the synagogue. He went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. 
So he bent over her. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Right? So Jesus shows up. Someone's sick. He heals her, but then Jesus allows her to serve. Jesus says, I healed you with a purpose. Because all good relationships, all healthy relationships, go both ways, right? You love someone and they love you back. So oftentimes when we think about our relationship with God, we consider ourselves consumers, right? I'm going to go to church and I'm going to consume this worship. I'm going to consume this message. But what Jesus does is he flips it. He goes, yeah, I want you to get something from me, but then I want you to pass it back. I want this to be a holistic relationship, and Jesus invites people to serve. Continuing on, then uh, uh, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they, the original disciples, pulled up their boats to shore, left everything, and followed him. Right? This is the initial call to be disciples. And what we see is that in discipleship, we have a deeper purpose. We are given a mission that goes beyond our own little worlds, our own little best plans. Jesus shows up in their life and he says, guys, you're fishermen, you're carpenters, you have this career, cool. But I'm going to give you deeper meaning. I'm going to give you meaning that will translate and transition into eternity. That's what discipleship is through the eyes of the kingdom through Jesus. Continues on. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector. And by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth, follow me, Jesus says to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. This is a story that I didn't understand for a while, but tax collectors were the worst. I mean, none of us likes tax day, right, April 15th where the government says you owe X amount, or even to get our money back, we have to fill out paperwork after paperwork after paperwork. That's not this. This type of tax collector was a glorified thug, commissioned by the Roman government to get Rome's taxes, but then they took their salary on anything on top, and you could not deny them. They were abusive. They were hated, so much so even, that at that time, the religion of the day said, if you were a tax collector, you could not even show up in temple. And temple was the only place that you could be forgiven. That's how ostracized they were. And yet Jesus, walking down the road, sees Levi, and he invites him to follow. There is nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do that can disqualify us from following Jesus which is good news because we're all from the island of misfit toys. We're all working this out. We're all broken. And yet Jesus sees Levi and he's like, dude, you, I want you to follow me. And then the story goes on. I love this part of the story. This is what we read in our gospel reading today. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees, however... And the teachers of the law, the pastors uh, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, for I have not come to call the righteous, but 
the sinner, but sinners to repentance. I love this story. Again, a little background that sometimes we miss. We think of a banquet, right? I'm like, oh, Levi had some friends over. Not a big deal. In ancient times, banquets and weddings were the only two parties that existed. It was harder. Life was more expensive. There wasn't a lot of margin to invite people over. So if you threw a banquet, this was a huge deal. And Levi, when he gets the call to follow, he invites all of his sinner friends, all of the people who have been ostracized from the church. Other gospel accounts talk about not just tax collectors, but prostitutes. And, and the unclean, those who have physical or mental infirmities, those who weren't good enough for the church. And Levi throws this huge banquet. This huge party, and Jesus shows up, and he enjoys life with people. He prioritized enjoying life with people. It's not just about, okay, I've got this prayer time in the morning, or I've got this 30 minutes set aside for God, or this hour on Sunday, but instead, Jesus wants to be a part of every aspect of our life, the highs and the lows. And this doesn't mean that Jesus was there getting wasted, but he was there. Enjoying life, eating and drinking and laughing and seeing people where they were. That's what discipleship looked like for the initial apostles. Going on. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, well, why are you doing that? It's unlawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, taking the consecrated bread. He ate it, what was lawful to only the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So the big thing here was Sabbath ended up becoming an obligation that people did. God commanded his people to rest, and his people decided to really rest, we have to regulate this. We have to itemize this. There have to be rules to resting. So many rules, in fact, there were over a hundred rules you would have to follow. How many steps you could take? How many people you could talk to if you were to honor Sabbath? They, they were missing the point. And so Jesus shows up, and he's like, y'all, all that religious stuff that gets in the way of your relationship with God, he tears it down. I was meeting with a member this week, and he was talking about how he and his daughter were having conversations about all the things you're supposed to do as a Christian. And how much of it, while can be good, is not necessary. Jesus was the first one to do that. He came in, he just started kicking over anything and anyone who would get in the way. Any pastor, any worship leader who tried to put things in the way of their relationship with God, he shows up and he's like, no, 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 no. That is not the point. In another gospel reading, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, Rest was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He goes, you, you, you've inverted all of this. And so if you've ever been frustrated with religiosity, don't worry. Jesus was frustrated with religiosity too. And part of discipleship is learning to deconstruct that stuff 
so we can see and live like God created us to live. That's part of our transformation. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountains to pray, and he spent the night praying to God, and when morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, these are the original apostles, for whom he designated to be apostles. Again, Jesus appoints and commissions people for a higher purpose. Not only does he call them to follow, but he appoints them. And y'all, all of you have been appointed by God for different ministries whether it's a mother or a father, a teacher, a business owner, a pastor. All of us have vocation, holy callings that God specifically made you for. And then he places you in a specific community where that holy calling can be lived out uniquely and powerfully. And and those of us with the holy calling of church work, it's not any better than those who are just in the trenches. Those who are loving people with their hands or their minds, all of us get that calling to be appointed to something for God's good purposes. And figuring out what that is is part of our discipleship. It's part of our transformation. It's how he uniquely designed us to be a blessing to the people he brings into our lives. But to those who are listening, I say, and this is Jesus, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If you turn the cheek, if, uh, uh, if, you, if someone slaps you in one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Jesus taught countercultural stuff. And, and this is important, guys, because all of us have different cultures that we're a part of. Right? So I am a Michigander. Right? I'm from Michigan. I'm white. I'm a pastor. I'm male. I like Marvel over DC. Right? We have all of these different identities of who we are, cultures that we identify with. None of those cultures purely represent God. None of those tribes purely represent what God is trying to do. Even our denomination is not perfect because we're all broken humans. And every culture we are a part of needs to be held to account by Jesus. And I'll be completely honest with you, the more I follow Jesus, the, least, the less comfortable I become identifying with any other tribe than I'm a Jesus follower. And even that is prerequisite with, hey, and I'm a really imperfect Jesus follower. But whatever tribe, whatever group that we feel we're a part of, Jesus holds that to account, and he's going to tell us some very countercultural stuff that says, oh, online, if someone says this, put them on blast. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That, that's not how this works. Oh, when your family member does this, now you can do that. No, 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 that, that, that's not how this works. Jesus leans in to counter-cultural Jesus stuff. And all of us need to be convicted by that. All of us need to be shaped by that. All of us need to grow in that. That's part of our, as we go, transformation, discipleship, to be more like Jesus. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town to town, he told them this parable. One of the things I love about Jesus is he uses story to tell truth. 
He uses allegories, case studies, to see the deeper truths of God. And, and so not only is reading your Bible important, but understanding the stories that are in there and why God put them there and understanding how he's using them to help narrate and understand those deeper truths that sometimes a one-line statement, a one-line proposition isn't going to suffice. Right? He didn't just start every day, okay, we're going to do this Bible study. Instead, he used different methods of teaching to get truth home. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He sends them out to serve the world. It's not just about the gathering that we have here, but this gathering is supposed to motivate us to do something, commission us to do something. That's why we do Sending Sundays. That's why we partner with Acts of Love in Costa Rica, because we actually believe that he's changing us for a purpose, that we go out in the world and that we serve. And what we see, and I love this, right? So he sends out the 12, but then there's the 72. And the, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every place in town where he was about to go. We don't go alone. Acts Church, you don't go alone. We go with the family of God. And so, yes, I may be individually at a spot. Mick, you may be individually fixing someone's plumbing, right? But even then, God wants us to know we're not by ourselves. We have a community that we can lean into, and we can ask to pray for us, challenge us, encourage us, celebrate with us. All of that is discipleship. And all of that is meant for community. Because one of the big myths is, oh, all I need is my Bible and prayer. And that's it. And me and God, we're going to figure this all out together. As soon as you go down that path, I will tell you what will happen. All of a sudden, God will start to hate all the same people you do. And God will look like you in the mirror just a little bit better. Little less weight. Little younger. As opposed to saying, no, God, I want to look more like you. And the way we do that is to be in community together because I don't perfectly reflect God and you don't perfectly reflect God, but together as the body of Christ, we see him in all of his fullness and beauty. We're never called to go alone in this discipleship, in this transformation. Then he, being Jesus, said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but for whoever loses their life for me will save it. I love this because he raises the bar for what it looks like to be a disciple. In the church, we often get this backwards. What we do is we raise the bar to be a part of our community. Before you can really be a part of this church, of this family, you got to kind of get your life together, at least for an hour on Sunday, right? Like, we get it, yeah, yeah, there's going to be a mess at home. But for one hour on Sunday, you better be able to show up and say, oh, I'm blessed. I'm so, I mean, your house may be burning down. Your marriage may be going down in flames, right? But we raise the bar often as Christians of, until you reach this level, you're not really a part of the community. But then we flip it. Once you're a part of the community, we're like, all oh, that hard stuff Jesus said, that's ah, not really important. 
Ah, God gives you grace, right? Instead, Jesus flips it. He lowers the bar. You want to be in a relationship with me? Levi, the tax collector, come on. I want to go to your party. But then he raises the bar for what it looks like to be a disciple, what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to love. He flips it. And it's beautiful because there's forgiveness and there's brokenness because we're still from the island of misfit toys and I as a pastor still screw it up, but he still forgives us, he loves us, and he sends us out with bar raised again that we can live up to being God's kids in all of its fullness. Then the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. The reason why I love this, and what I am learning as a pastor to do, as after they go and do stuff, Jesus explains what they did. Oftentimes, we can go and serve God, but we forget to tell the whole story. We forget to close the loop. To explain hey, when you loved that person, the body of Christ was loving that person. Hey, when you forgave that person, that was God's kingdom of forgiveness and reconciliation coming into their life. And parents, this is something you can do with your kids that I really recommend. As you see them live out their identity as God's kids, as they love the right way, to be able to lean in and say, what happened there? Let me explain it to you. Let me show you what God is doing in that moment. And I, as a pastor, want to get better at this. I want to explain the impact of our Sending Sundays, the impact of our partnerships with Acts of Love in Costa Rica, the impact when you build rhythms into your family's life. Because Jesus did. He explained what God was doing as they served. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's table and was listening to what Jesus said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, Martha. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I love this. Jesus helps them rest well. Jesus did not sacrifice anyone on the altar of a church service. And y'all, the American church has done that for a long time. If you've ever been a part of a church for any length of time, including this one, in some way, shape, or form, you have probably at least been tempted or felt guilty that you weren't sacrificed on the altar of making church happen, right? Oh, we got to do all this stuff. Right? And we need you, and then we burn out people. And then we find a new cog, and we put it into a machine that burns them out, and we do it again and again and again. And Jesus didn't do that. And don't get me wrong, Jesus allowed people to serve him. And it's important. And it's the only way that the body of Christ can do this together. But he also doesn't say, and do it until you burn out. Instead, he helps people rest. And that is part of our discipleship. That is part of the transformation. I love this. People were bringing babies to Jesus. They were to place his hands on him. But when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. No, 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 no. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the literal children come to me. Do not hinder them. 
For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. For truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I mean, this is like the heart song of this church, but Jesus included children in his discipleship. Jesus includes your children in discipleship. And you as parents, you as parents, even as parents of teenagers or adults, are included in helping disciple them. And in the same way that Jesus sends them out, in the same way that Jesus encouraged them, in the same way that Jesus helps them rest, in the same way that Jesus helps narrate the story of what God is doing in their life, in the impact of their actions, that is what we, as God's kids, are called to do for each other and certainly for that next generation. All are invited. And we, as God's kids, have that opportunity to lean in and to be a part of that discipleship, not just as adults, not just who listens to Pastor Josh in the message, but the kids who are in kids' ministry, the kids who are online, the opportunity to be disciples as an all-age, all-in proposal from Jesus. Two other men, both criminals, were led out with him to be executed on that beautiful scandalous night. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothing by casting lots. Uh, Jesus forgives them even when they're actively sinning. Jesus forgives you even when you sin. Even when you know better. Even if it's the 87th time, or at the 8700th time that you fall flat in a particular way, I love that Christ on the cross looks down while he is being tortured and says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now, that's part of our discipleship. Hearing that over and over and over again, that truth, that promise, that even when we fall flat, even when we don't follow Jesus like the book of Luke or anything else, he shows up and he says, I'm not done yet. And I forgive you and I love you and I'm fighting for you. And then from there, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer, will rise from the dead on the third day and repentance of sins will be uh, preached in the name, uh, in his name to all the nations from beginning to end. That forgiveness that death and resurrection then empowers us to be disciples. That's the energy. That's how the Holy Spirit gets in. Because we are children who are forgiven, it is a heartbeat that continues to keep us alive, that connects us to God, and then that sends us out by the power of the Spirit to be God's kids. We covered a lot of ground. And to be honest, I didn't even get all of them in Luke. This was a survey but the reality of how big discipleship is and what it looks like and how it's so much more holistic than what we tend to think about. Yeah, I got convicted when I was reading through this. And, you know, I started uh, this message by talking about working out and physical body crit. Uh, this actually happened back in May, though, too. Back in May, I was at a pastor's conference, and I got convicted 
about a rhythm that was missing in my life. So I read the Bible, I would pray. Uh, Eric and I had our own personal devotion stuff we would do. But the conviction was I wasn't praying specifically and deeply for the church. Like I'd pray for the church, don't get me wrong. But you know that deeper prayer, that intentional prayer? And I had a good conversation with God about it. And I heard, Josh, I forgive you. But let, let's try something a little different. And so since May, my work days have started differently. After I have my coffee, after I have my shower, right, once my brain is functioning on the higher levels, I start my day by praying for the entire church. I pray for every ministry. I pray for every meeting that I'm going to have, whether it's with staff or with individuals. I pray for our mission to equip, send, and bless this community. If I meet with you for lunch or coffee, or if I send you a text message, I pray before then. And I'm not doing this to pat myself on the back. But that one rhythm has given me more energy for the kingdom of God than anything I have done in years. I am more excited about what Jesus is doing in your personal life than I have been literally since I can remember. And it's those little rhythms. And guys, this isn't like I'm spending 45 minutes praying. No, 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 no. I spend five minutes on my knees. God, I'm going to meet with the Hargroves this week. Or I'm going to be with staff this week. Or, you know, I, I know this family is wrestling with this challenge this week. And those little moments change us and shape us. And we're not always going to do them perfect. I don't every single morning. There are some mornings where that first text message comes and I'm off to the races and it's halfway through the day before I even realize I haven't even talked to God yet. I was talking to another family and they started a rhythm a couple months ago and it was going pretty well and then it, then it kind of got off the rails a little bit. It's okay. False starts are all right. Proverbs said that the righteous man falls six times but will get up seven. So whether it's seven... 77, or seven times 77, to continue to get up and to follow and to seek out those rhythms that will help us transform, that will help us be more like Christ. Better disciples is what we as a church, what I as your pastor, am praying for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're good. Lord, you're good when there isn't anything good in us. Father, Lord, you're good when we are actively adding to the weight you had to carry at the cross. Lord, when our sin, when our anger, when all that muck is what's coming out of us, Father, you are good and you forgive us and you speak over us, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Lord, we come before you now in confession, but there is a lot that we do know what we're doing. There's a lot where we don't know what we're doing, but, but it's sin, it's brokenness, Lord. And we are bold to confess because of who you showed yourself to be in Christ. Lord, that when you declare their sins are forgiven, God remembers them no more, we are indeed forgiven. We are again fully righteous in right relationship with you and called to be in right relationship with our communities, our families, and this world. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about our church at axchurchleander.com.